As Christians, we say we believe the Bible, but we often miss its Jewish meanings. How can understanding the original background of Scripture help us better live for God today? Find out on today's episode of A View from the Wall. Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor Joe Kerr with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View From The Wall. Welcome to A View From The Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs here with co-host Joseph Kerr. We're excited to bring to you today Rabbi Jason Sobel to discuss his new book, Mysteries of the Messiah. Let me tell you a little bit about Rabbi Jason. First, he's the founder of Fusion Global, a ministry influenced by his powerful story of living as a Jewish follower of Christ. Rabbi Jason is a graduate of Moody Bible Institute and Southeastern Seminary, and he's appeared on numerous programs. He's also the co-author of the New York Times bestseller, The Rock, The Road, and The Rabbi, with Kathy Lee Gifford, who was on our program last week. Rabbi Jason has served as spiritual advisor of the Chosen TV series with our friend Dallas Jenkins, and he has a new book we'll discuss today called Mysteries of the Messiah. Rabbi Jason, welcome to A View from the Wall. Shalom, shalom. I'm excited to be with you all. Pleasure to have you with us. And we want to start by talking about your testimony because your salvation story is truly unique. You had a radical encounter with Christ that changed your life. Share with our listeners today what happened and how that has shaped the way God is working in your life today. Oh, God is so good. I mean, I grew up in the Holy Land, New Jersey. Oh, there were yes. more Jews than in Jerusalem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was, I, was, I was working in a large recording studio, pursuing my dream there, and looked at the lives of these famous people, said there has to be more to life than just this. Began a spiritual journey, studied with my rabbi in traditional synagogues, started to study Eastern philosophy and religion. One day I was meditating and I had this outer body experience. My soul left my body. I went to heaven. I saw this king on this throne high and lifted up, the power of God, the glory of God. And I knew this king sitting on the throne was Jesus, Yeshua, his Hebrew name. He told me I was called to serve him. Next thing you know, I was down in my body running around saying, I'm called to serve him. My mom's like, we're Jewish. You're called to serve who? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had no idea who he was at the time because I, didn't have a, I never had anyone share the gospel with me growing up. When my best friend came to faith and he said, Jason, you went to Hebrew school. Can you tell the difference between the Old and the New Testament? I said, sure. He read me the crucifixion. I said, New Testament. He said, great. Let me read you another passage. He was bruised for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and by his stripes were healed. Mm -hmm. I said, that's the New Testament. He said, no, that's Isaiah 53, the Hebrew prophet speaking 700 years before Jesus walked the face of the earth. I began to be provoked to jealousy. I went with him to this Messianic congregation where I got tricked into faith by Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> and uh, they gave me the first New Testament I'd ever seen, blown away how Jewish it was. And what Jesus said to me in that encounter in heaven was the verse from the New Testament, the Messianic prophecies. And I'm like, okay, he was the one whom Moses and the prophets spoke of. I gave my life to him. I, I came to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, and it radically changed my life on every single level, and I'm so grateful to God. Rabbi Jason, some of our listeners recognize you from your work with The Chosen, and Dallas Jenkins has been a guest on our program a couple times. Many people love The Chosen because it is so true to Hebrew culture, and it brought a whole new meaning to the series. You say in Mysteries of the Messiah that the Old and New Testament are connected, and you specify through Matthew 
chapter 13, verse 52. Talk about that. It's a great verse. It's a verse that impacted my life. It says, what can a scribe who understands the kingdom of God be compared to like a householder that brings forth treasures new and old? And I feel like so many Christians settle for the new treasures in the New Testament. So many Jews settle for the old, but the full inheritance is old and new. I don't want to see people settle for half an inheritance. The Lord doesn't want us to settle for half an inheritance. I feel like there's, when, when, the, when the shoots, when the Gentile shoots disconnect from the Jewish roots, I think we wind up with a lot of strange fruit. And uh, I think the fruitfulness comes when the old and new connect. And it's life-changing. I mean, the way that I kind of tend to understand it is this. One year before the Super Bowl, I went out and bought a high-definition television. And everyone's like, it's going to change the way you see the game. And I was so excited. I watched it. I'm like, this isn't that great. At the end of the game, I have a realization. I'm flipping through the channels, and I realize that the high-definition channels are the higher-station channels. I watched the whole game in standard definition. <laughs> and when I saw it in high-definition, like, like, this makes a difference. And when the old and new connect, it makes the Bible come alive. It's that road to Emmaus experience where our hearts burn within us as we see how everything in the law, the writings, and the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus. Well, that's such a good perspective. And one thing that people often ask about the Old Testament and the New Testament as well is the significance of numbers in the Hebrew writings. Uh, they're often misunderstood. You see things like 40 years in the desert, 40 days in the wilderness with Jesus, the 12 disciples, the 12 tribes. What is it that we see in the Bible about numbers that is significant? How is it different from, say, astrology or numerology that we see in our culture today? And there's so much there. I mean, numbers in the Bible are significant, I think. But the first thing we have to understand is the way God designed the language of the Bible. I mean, Hebrew and Greek, for that matter. And Hebrew is alphanumeric. There are no Roman numerals in the Hebrew scriptures. So letters and numbers are interchangeable. Every letter has a numerical value. Therefore, words have numerical values. And a lot of times, that there is significance to that. But even before we could get into any specifics, I think just part of it, too, is, you know, we live in a world where there's so much attack on the scriptures and so much skepticism towards the Bible. And, for example, when you read Genesis chapter 1, someone might say, well, how can God speak the world into existence? We live in a mathematical universe. Obviously, that's myth. We can't really believe what the scriptures say. It's not scientific. But if you understand that letters and numbers are interchangeable and God creates heaven and earth, when he spoke the world into existence, his word forms the code for the spiritual aspect of creation. And his word, which also has a number to it, creates the mathematical code of creation. So there is no contradiction between heavens and earth, between the spiritual and the world of math that we live in. The two go together. They're meant to be complementary. And we can look at many passages of scriptures that show how the patterns of numbers reveal the deeper truths of the Bible. Well, it would also seem to show the unity of the scriptures as well, wouldn't it? Uh, instead of you know being something that's pieced together by different people in different places at different times, there's this unity when you look at the numerical values that are throughout it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it shows that kind of the uh, divine design of the scriptures. When you look at the connection between the old and the new, how it all comes together, I mean, it's just really, like, incredible. Like, think about the number eight for a moment. It's such an important number, mm -hmm. okay? 
So people think of Jesus rising on the first day of the week, but in a sense, he really also rose on the eighth day. So he dies on what's known as Good Friday. Well, biblically, the sixth day, Friday is the sixth day of the week. So he dies on the sixth day, the same day God finished the work of creation. He was in the grave resting on the seventh day, the Sabbath. And then just like God rested from the work of creation, he rests from the work of redemption and new creation. And he rises on Sunday, which would be the eighth day of the week. Well, why is that important? Because eight in the Old Testament is the number of new beginnings. Eight were saved in the ark. The priesthood is connected to the number eight. Eight is connected in the Old Testament to the number of the supernatural. God makes the covenant with Israel on the eighth day, the circumcision, the covenant in the flesh, the supernatural sign. So Jesus rises on the eighth day because it's bringing a new beginning. He's doing it because he's transcending the natural, bringing the supernatural. David was the eighth son of Jesse. This is the son of David, the Messiah, giving his life, fulfilling everything that the Messiah, son of David, was supposed to fill. You take eight on its side, and it's the number of infinity because it's the infinite breaking into this finite temporal universe in which we live in. And Jesus in Greek adds up to eight, eight, eight. Amazing. Well, this is fascinating. We're going to take a quick break and continue our conversation with Rabbi Jason. Stay with us here on A View from the Wall. From I Am a Watchman Ministries, here's today's I Am a Watchman Minute. Watchmen follow Colossians 4.2 and, quote, devote themselves to prayer. The word devote is a strong word in the original text. It means to be absolutely committed to the task and to continue without ceasing. Is that how you pray? There's a correlation between how we pray to the Lord and what we accomplish for the Lord. Don't be discouraged when your prayer request is not answered immediately. Devote yourself to prayer. That's the mark of spiritual maturity, and that's the requisite for watchmen. Pray without ceasing. Pray that every believer will have a concern for the lost, will know what prophecy says is coming, and will share the message that the Lord's return is near. Visit imawatchman.com for resources for watchmen. Be bold. Be faithful. Be a watchman. I am a watchman.com. Welcome back to A View from the Wall. As Joe and I continue our conversation with Rabbi Jason and his new book, Mysteries of the Messiah, we want to mention you can pre-order your signed copy at his website, fusionglobal.org. Again, that's fusionglobal.org. And Rabbi Jason, as we talk about your latest book, we want to discuss the issue of motives. And as we talk about it, I want to get your perspective on what inspired you to write about the Bible's mysteries and specifically the mysteries of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You know, I want people to fall more in love with Jesus and more in love with the scriptures, his word. And I feel like today there's so much misinformation about the Bible. And so many times Christians don't understand how important the Old Testament is and how significant it is fulfilled in the new. And so I just feel like this book will strengthen people's faith as they see the unbelievable connections on every single level. It's really just mind-blowing uh, how God is in all of the details, how, those, how there is always more, and strengthen their faith because the Bible is being taken out of context so much. I just wrote an op-ed piece of responding to a guy that did a TikTok video saying Jesus was a racist. 
I mean, you know, he called Jesus a racist because you obviously don't understand the context of the scriptures, <laughs> you know? And so this is what we're trying to do, make it come alive and uh, be meaningful for people. Rabbi Jason, there are over a hundred prophecies in the Old Testament that specifically refer to Messiah's first coming. And we talk about Bible prophecy on this show a lot. So you've narrowed those to five specific categories revealing that Jesus was absolutely the prophesied Messiah. Talk about those five categories. Yeah, just thank you. There's a little context for that. Like when I first came to faith in Jesus, my mom found my New Testament in my bedroom and she thought I joined a cult. So she said, go meet with the rabbi. He's going to straighten you out. And so I literally had to get out my Old Testament, my Hebrew Bible, and say, okay, what is the job description of the Messiah? Like, how can I prove that he was the one who fulfilled what Moses and the prophet spoke of? And as I began to go through the scripture, I saw this kind of job description emerge. And one of that is first his humanity. Uh, God created man and woman. He put them in the garden. We fell and we broke that connection from heaven and earth. And so Messiah, Genesis 3.15, the first messianic prophecy was going to have to be of the seed of the woman, which meant he's going to have to be human. He's going to have to have a human aspect to him. And one of the things I love about that is we don't even ask ourselves the question oftentimes, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Well, how did sin enter the world? Man and woman stole from the tree, so God puts back on the tree for you and me to make an atonement, to make a repair for the sin of the first man and woman. His hands are pierced because our hands stole from the tree. His side, because the woman, Eve, led him into temptation, she was from the, taken from his side. His feet pierced the first messianic prophecy, Genesis 3. His feet, the Messiah's feet, would crush the head of the woman. The crown of thorns on his head. Why? What's the sign of the curse of creation? the ground with the juice, thorns, and thistles. He's literally taking the curse of creation and bringing it on his head. We talk more about this in Mysteries of the Messiah. He's going to be human. Genesis 3 raises a question that the rest of the entire Bible is going to answer. Who is the seed of the woman? That's the mystery, right? Then we learn that he's going to have to be not just any human being, but from Abraham. And, and he's going to have to not just be from Abraham, but from Isaac and from Jacob. There's a narrowing of the line, and not just any of the 12 tribes of Israel, of Jacob, but from Judah, and not any of the families of Judah, but he's going to be from the house of, he's going to be a descendant of David. God makes a covenant with David. And of the descendants of David, he's going to have a unique birth. He's going to be born of a virgin, and he's going to be divine. And we see this going all the way back to Genesis 3.15, because it says seed of the woman. Women don't have seed in the Bible. Only men have seed. And so this is pointing to an unusual and unique birth. He's going to be God incarnate in the flesh. And then ultimately, Isaiah 53, the Messiah is going to be suffer, rejected, die for the sins. But ultimately, all Israel will receive him one day. So that is a quick overview of the job description. <laughs> oh, there's so much more that could be said, but I love those parallels you mentioned just from using the one example from Genesis 3.15. But one thing about the book that's the focus is this idea of mystery. The word mystery appears throughout the scriptures, and even Jesus spoke in mysteries and parables. Even the Apostle Paul talked about the mystery of God's plan, the mystery of the resurrection in the last days. Why does God use this concept of mystery? What's important about it for our lives today? You know, I think part of the significance of the mystery is a verse in the scripture that I love. It says, it's 
the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. Yes. And I think one of the reasons why mystery is so significant is because God doesn't want us to be people who live on the surface. He wants us to be people that go deeper. And because in our day and age, people won't die from a lack of want in the West, will die from a lack of wonder, a sense of boredom. And God wants us to understand that there are deeper truths, there's deeper mysteries that can transform our lives, and it's exciting. It is it's, it's more exciting than like something like the Da Vinci Code, which is made up, right? right? There are mysteries and things to be found, and it's an exciting journey, and God invites us in on that. Rabbi Jason, we talk about all aspects of Bible prophecy on this program, and I, quite frankly, I thought we'd covered most of them, but you have a one that I've not heard before. Talk about how the two sets of Ten Commandments point to the Messiah. Oh, yeah, I love this. So Moses comes down the mountain with the first set of commandments. He sees the children of Israel committing the sin of the golden calf. He breaks those tablets. He goes back up on the mountain, comes down with a second set, of tablets, and those actually point to the Messiah. The first set of broken tablets point to Jesus' first coming when he was broken because of our sin and idolatry like those broken tablets. And it's interesting because in Jewish tradition, the, ta- the God wrote the actual, well, the Bible tells us God wrote the Ten Commandments with his finger in the first set. And so in Jewish tradition, the letters on those tablets fly back to heaven on the 40th day. Why is that significant? Because Book of Acts tells us Jesus, who is the Word made flesh, ascends back into heaven on the 40th day after his resurrection. And then the second set of tablets, which Moses brings down, which is a picture of God's forgiveness and second chances, is a pointer to a second coming when he will return, he will heal the world, make it whole, and establish the kingdom But there's a very practical and meaningful lesson in here, which is this. The first set of tablets that were broken were placed in Jewish tradition in the Ark with the whole set. And what does this teach us? That wholeness comes out of brokenness. God wants us to give us the broken pieces of our life, and He can make something beautiful and whole out of them. Oh, that's beautiful. I enjoy this, and I hope you are as well. We have to take a break for a moment. Stick with us for more here on A View from the Wall. The rapture can happen at any time. You may be ready, but are your friends and family spiritually prepared for the coming of the Lord? What will happen to those left behind? We've created a new resource to help you help them. It's called the Rapture Kit. Included in the Rapture Kit is a Bible and vital information on what the rapture is and how to prepare for what's to come. The Rapture Kit also includes eight books on prophecy, apologetics, the Christian walk, and being a watchman for the Lord, plus a number of video and audio teachings all preloaded on an eight gigabyte flash drive. Become more strategic and active in your witnessing. Warn the lost about the coming rapture and help individuals in the post-rapture world be drawn to Christ, equipping them to become the next generation of ministry leaders. Learn more and order at rapturekit.org. Welcome back to A View from the Wall. As Joe and I talk with Rabbi Jason in our final segment today of A View from the Wall, we want to inspire you through some of the principles he discusses in his new book. 
Rabbi Jason, you use the beauty of Hebrew in your book to explain the truth of salvation, and you use two specific words, the words redemption and exile. What is the significance of these words for our lives? Really important. Thanks for asking. So the Hebrew word for redemption is geulah, and the word for exile is gola. And in Hebrew, there's only one letter difference between exile and redemption. It's the Hebrew letter Aleph. And Aleph is the letter in the Bible that has a numerical value of one. God is one. He's the first. He should be first in our life. But it's also most of the divine names begin with the letter Aleph. Elohim, Adonai. So it's a letter that represents God and his oneness. Here's the point, that when you take God out, what are you left with? You're left with exile. And exile is chaos and disconnection. When you take God out of a nation, out of society, out of a family, out of a school, you're going to be left with chaos. But how do you reverse that chaos? You invite God back in. And when you invite the Lord back in, it completely transforms everything. And in reality, that's what Jesus was doing on the cross. Because when we sinned, there were four aspects of exile that resulted. There was spiritual exile, disconnected and distant from God. There is personal exile, distance and disconnected from a true identity and purpose. There is relational exile, broken relationships, disconnected from the people and family around us. And physical exile from the physical world, sickness, craziness and, and chaos in the physical world of creation around us and death and all of that. And when Yeshua dies, Jesus dies on that cross. He dies to remove those four aspects of exile. And so that we can find spiritual life and salvation, that we can find emotional healing and wholeness in him, that we can find uh, relational healing and restored relationships and reconciliation. And even we can be physically touched by him as well. And so that's the promise that we have in him, which is really a beautiful thing at this season. That is so good. I love the depth of the Hebrew language and how we can learn so much more from it. And you've expounded on that in the book. But there's one phrase I want to read right from the book. You wrote, by expanding our understanding of prayer and scripture to include ancient Hebrew and contemporary wisdom informed by the spirit, we can enrich our perspective of Yeshua, Jesus, his teachings and his disciples. There's a lot in there. Unpack that a little bit for us. What did you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I think that when we understand how the old and the new connect, it makes the scriptures come alive for us in really powerful ways. Both our understanding and knowledge of the scriptures, but even how it informs our worship and our prayer life. I mean, for example, one of the words, in Hebrew, the word for worship, avodah, is the same word for work. And what's the difference between work and worship? It comes down to who we're doing it for. And when we do it for the Lord, even our work becomes a form of worship. And, you know, there's some ancient Jewish prayers like the Shema. And we, we have a whole, there's a whole episode in The Chosen where there's the kids are saying the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We just did a, a TV show on The Chosen called The Chosen Unveiled, where you talk about the significance of Christians saying the Shema, not just praying for Israel, but praying with Israel that makes everything come alive in a deeper and more meaningful way. 
Rabbi Jason, we serve a large community of people who refer to themselves as watchmen and women. It's a calling that keeps them focused on watching, warning, witnessing, and seeking to finish well in these difficult last days. What words of challenge and encouragement and mystery do you have for our watchmen? I think this is such a time as this moment, uh, probably more significant than ever. I think we're in a John 21 moment. The disciples were fishing all night, and Jesus had cast the net on the right side of the boat, and the great catch of fish comes in. And in Jewish thought, the left side is the side of judgment and fire. The right side is the side of the love inside of the word. When you fish from the left, your nets will remain empty. When you fish from the side of the right, love and kindness and rooted in God's word, you see a great catch, but there's something more, which is God doesn't bring the great salvation, the great uh, move of God that I believe we're pro- that he wants to bring until we prepare the net. And part of preparing the nets is the nets have to be sizable enough and strong enough to contain the catch that God wants to bring. It's our responsibility to join that. It's the responsibility for Jew and Gentile to unite in Messiah as it was in the beginning. So is it going to be in the end. Each one of you are playing a important role. You're preparing the way prophetically for the promises of God, for the return of the Messiah. And that is a important task that, that will be, that will have rich reward in heaven. And I just want to encourage you in that. And we talk some about that in Mysteries of the Messiah, but this is that such a time moment. This is Kivama where the appointed time has come. Well, again, we've been talking with Rabbi Jason Sobel, author of the new book, Mysteries of the Messiah. And if you'd like to know more about his ministry and get his book, even an autographed copy, go to fusionglobal.org. You'll find all kinds of resources there. Rabbi Jason, thanks so much for being with us today. Shalom, shalom. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, and to all of our listeners, let us say again how much we appreciate you joining us for today's program. We want you to know that we are here to serve you. So listen again at IamAWatchman.com and join us here next time on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am a Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.